This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. I don't know about you, but when you and I are in a pickle, in a situation that's difficult, when we've painted ourselves into a corner, when we're experiencing a sticky wicket or a conundrum, when we are between a rock and a hard place and a catch-22, when we are experiencing a dead end where there seems to be no hope, that's when God specializes in showing up. That's where God moves in such a powerful way as we trust in Him that He has a breakthrough plan. I don't know what you're going through right now. Maybe you're experiencing something in terms of your health. Maybe you're experiencing something regarding your finances. Maybe there's a relationship that has been strained or perhaps even broken. Perhaps you're struggling with grief as you've lost a loved one, or you've lost your home due to the campfire in paradise. I don't know what you're going through, but I know God knows what you're going through. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at the fact that God is omniscient. The word omniscient means He is all-knowing. God knows everything. Everything about everything and everything about you and me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you for your love. Thank you that you know us thoroughly, intimately, personally, and that you love us with an everlasting love. We thank you that you're going to speak to us right now through your word. And we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that hope in action does is that hope in action recognizes where you are. Hope is here. Hope is wherever you are. Once you recognize that you are in the place you're in, not by accident, but by design. Not by fate, but by God's purpose. Then you know that God who brought you this far is going to continue to bring you all the way. God is faithful. Hope is right where you are. Hope is here. Because God is with you wherever you are. The second Hope in action step, which we look at today, is this. Hope honors God. No matter what your situation is, you and I should be more concerned about God's glory than our own comfort. 
We shouldn't say, oh God, just take away all pain, all unhappiness, all struggles. Take that all away. I don't care about you. I just care about me. We shouldn't pray that way. We should pray, no matter what we're going through, God, may you receive the glory through all of this. May you be glorified no matter what happens to me. Because it's not about me, it's about you. Now the beauty of it is that it's a win-win situation. When God gets the glory, it's for our good. So you can't lose, but the important point is that the focus is that God gets the glory. Hope honors God. So here's the outline for today's set of verses. Today's verses are Exodus 14 and verses 3 and 4. Now this is important. Why did God tell Moses to have the Israelites, all two million of them, instead of continue escaping from Egypt, turn back towards Egypt and camp right by the Red Sea? Why did God have the Israelites go back and camp by the Red Sea? The answer is here in verses 3 and 4. It says, Pharaoh will think, this is God speaking to Moses, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now, we're going to learn that God knows our thoughts, God knows our hearts, God knows, our, knows his plans, and God knows our obedience. Let's look at this one at a time. First of all, God knows our thoughts. It says in Exodus 14.3, this is God speaking to Moses, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Did you know that God knows our thoughts? We think to ourselves, and listen to that, we think to ourselves that we're only thinking to ourselves. But did you know God knows every thought you have? He does. God knows every thought that you have, every thought you had, and every thought you're going to have. And he knows how Pharaoh's going to think. He says, Pharaoh will think, aha, I've got them now. They are right by the Red Sea. They're sitting ducks for me to go back and reclaim them and put them back into slavery, making bricks and building our pyramids. You see how God knew Pharaoh's thoughts. And God knows your thoughts and my thoughts. It says in Psalm 139, verses 1 and 2, this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. God knows your thoughts. God knows what your thoughts are. Jeremiah 12, 3. Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. Did you know that ten, excuse me, two of the Ten Commandments 
deal with our thoughts? The first commandment, thou shalt not have any gods before me. How would God know if we broke those, that command unless he knows our thoughts? And the last command of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt not covet. Coveting is a sin of the thought life. God knows our thoughts. When Jesus walked this earth, he knew what people were thinking. He was fully God and yet fully man here on earth. And it says in Matthew 9, 4, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Matthew 12, 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. And Luke 9, 47, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. He said, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. God knows your thoughts. Jesus knows your thoughts. Now, this could be good news or bad news. It can be intimidating to realize that God knows our thoughts that he knows the angry thoughts we have, the lustful thoughts, the vengeful ideas, the secret greed, the hidden coveting. But it can also be comforting to know that God understands our secret longings, our hopeful desires, and our private dreams. If we've given our lives to Christ, then we should find comfort in remembering that our loving Father knows us even better than we know ourselves. That we don't have to be afraid about being vulnerable to our Creator. He knows our thoughts. He loves us. By the way, it also makes sense that there is no use in trying to hide things from God. He knows your thoughts. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. He cannot be fooled. He, you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. He knows what you're thinking. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You sow a thought and you reap a habit. Then you sow a habit and you reap a destiny. And so it's important for us to set our minds on Christ, to think about whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, and not to fill our minds with things of the world, the flesh, and the devil. God wants us to confess when we are thinking about sinning or when we have sinned. Why? Even though he knows our thoughts, he wants us to agree with him that sin is sin. You know how easy it is to rationalize your sin? You know how easy it is to justify, well, that's not so bad, and we minimize and trivialize our sin? How about agreeing with God, yes, that was sin? That's what confession is. Confession is agreeing with God that you have disobeyed His Word, that you have missed the mark of His holiness. So we are to confess our sins, not because God doesn't know what we're thinking, but because we want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in asking God to grow us in holiness, to grow us in practical righteousness that we already have positionally in Christ. 
Now, you know where this really helps us? It helps us in our prayer life. I want you to know that I take great comfort, and you should take great comfort in this. Jesus taught about prayer, Matthew 6, 7, and 8. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't that precious? Because God knows your thoughts. He knows the needs of your heart. He knows what you need to pray about. He knows even before you voice that prayer request that He wants to bless you. He wants to help you. He wants to heal you. He hears your heart. He knows you that well. In Matthew 6, 31-32, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Is it comforting to know that God knows the things you're worried about? So instead of worrying about Him, how about praying about Him? Instead of worrying about him, how about trusting him? Because he knows your needs. Even before you acknowledge them. Even before you have a clue what your needs are, God knows what you need. And he's just waiting for you to say, Abba, Father, help me. I need this. God loves you. And he knows your thoughts. Secondly, God knows our hearts. Exodus 14, 4a says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. Now here's the question I have for you. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Did Pharaoh harden his heart? Or did God harden Pharaoh's heart? The answer is yes. Both were involved in the hardening heart process. You see, Every time Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and Pharaoh said no, there was a plague of devastating proportions. And there were ten plagues. And with each plague, you would think that Pharaoh would say, wait a second, there must be a God. Because these are cataclysmic level plagues. They are supernatural plagues. Yes, at first, my sorcerers, my wizards, could kind of duplicate something on a smaller level, what was being done. But after a while, even my magicians could not conjure conjure up what was being done on such a huge scale. There must be a God. Did he say that? No. On the contrary, Halfway through, he says, what is it about your God that I should believe? He kept hardening his own heart against all evidence that God exists. He said, I refuse to listen, I refuse to see, I refuse to believe in my heart. I will harden my heart. And you know what God does? God honors our free will. 
our free will to choose. And he says, all right, Pharaoh, if that's the way you want to go, I recognize your choice and I seal the hardness of your heart. So who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Pharaoh did. And God confirmed the hardness that Pharaoh chose. Now, with regards to your heart and my heart, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 19, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. So the heart is a very important thing. Jesus said in Matthew 7, It's not what comes out of a person's mouth that defiles them. Or it's, what, excuse me, it's not what goes into a person's mouth that defiles them. It's what comes out of their mouth that defiles them. In other words, from the heart come things like evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these things come from inside and defile a person. So you can have a heart that's not right with God, and you think your heart's fine, but yet out of your mouth are evidences that show your heart is not right with God. And so that's why we need to have a EKG, a spiritual electrocardiogram. Because the question for you and me this morning is this. Is your heart hard or soft toward God? The new covenant, which we're going to be talking about with communion, the new covenant in the blood of Jesus, is about what was prophesied in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 says this, these are God speaking, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Before you received Christ, you had a heart of stone. And that stony heart was unresponsive to God. You had a hard heart. God says the new covenant is I'll give you a heart transplant. I'll take away that stony heart and I'll give you a heart of flesh that's responsive to me. I'll put a right spirit in you that responds to me in love and in obedience. So do you have a hard heart? Or have you received Christ and your heart is soft towards Him? It's a surgery we can't do on ourselves. It's God's sovereign, gracious, saving work and its effect that brings a new, tender, obedient love toward God in our hearts. But we are, once we get the new heart, we're supposed to keep the heart soft towards Him. It says in Hebrews 3.13, Hebrews 3.13, it says, encourage one another as long as it's called today, so that the deceitfulness of sin might not harden your heart. So you could be a Christian and trafficking in sin and your heart is becoming hard. That's why we need to encourage one another as long as it's called today. How often should we encourage each other? Daily. Because every day is called today. 
Every day we're to encourage one another because that's how quickly sin can cause a hardening of the spiritual arteries. If we're not careful, sin can harden our hearts. And we need to keep a soft heart toward God. And the beauty of this is this, that God searches the hearts and minds of people, seeking those whose hearts are turned toward Him. And it says in 2 Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. God is looking at your heart right now. He knows your heart condition. Do you have some serious plaque going on? Do you need a pacemaker? Some stents? You have some AFib going on, spiritually speaking? God wants to heal your heart, and God wants you to have a soft heart towards Him. Don't be like Pharaoh, who kept on ignoring the evidences, all the diagnoses that his heart was getting harder and harder, and he says, I don't care. And he kept hardening his heart. Don't be like Pharaoh. It says in Hebrews 13, excuse me, 3, 11 to 13, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of us has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, it's an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Can I tell you something about the future? In the future, there's going to be what's called the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation is a seven-year period. During that seven-year period, there are going to be signs in the heavens that are unquestionably show the power and the existence of God. But you know what the purpose of the tribulation is? It's to show that people who don't believe in God will go out of their way to make up theories to explain away the acts and the works of God just to justify their hard hearts. In other words, the tribulation is a judgment of the wrath of God that shows just how hard hearted people's hearts can get because they're going to live in total spiritual denial that there's a God in the last of the last days during the tribulation. God's judgment is just and it will be proven out. God knows our hearts. And God knows His plans. Exodus 14, 4b. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Now right here, I just want to put into your mind two words that are very profound. God has strange strategies. Strange strategies. So, here he is telling the, Egyptian, the Israelites, I want you to camp by the Red Sea. You're going to be trapped by the mountains on one side and by an Egyptian fortress on the other side. And Pharaoh and his 600 chariots are going to be coming towards you 
you're going to have nowhere to go. You're going to be in this impossible situation. But it's part of my plan. It's part of my strange strategy. Because Moses is scratching his head. Why would you put this in Pharaoh's heart to come after your own people? That's a strange strategy. But you know what God's going to accomplish? When they, he opens the Red Sea and the, his people get through on dry ground and then the Egyptians pursue them and the Red Sea closes in, guess what? He's going to destroy the enemies of Israel once and for all. Pharaoh and all of the army of Egypt will be completely destroyed because of God's plan. God knows his plans. God knows what he's about. And I just love the fact, you say, well, how is God going to reach a world? He's going to send a baby. Isn't that a strange strategy? How is God going to provide for the forgiveness of human beings? He's going to have his very own son die on the cross. And Satan, like Pharaoh, is thinking, oh, I've got him now. The Son of God, I'm going to have him crucified. I'm going to win. But he didn't see that Jesus was going to rise from the dead and have the ultimate victory. You see, the foolishness of man doesn't even compare with the wisdom of God. The strength of man does not even compare with the strength of God. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways and thoughts higher than ours. So God has strange strategies, but in every strange strategy, there's one goal. And that goal is that God be glorified. Did you notice it says, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. I will gain glory for myself. So whatever you're going through, you say, God, this doesn't make sense. God, I feel like I'm in a dead end and I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And God says, I specialize in impossibilities. Nothing is too difficult for God. If we'll only trust Him, God will make a way where there seems to be no way so that He gets the glory. That's the point. We want God to be glorified. No matter what our situation is, okay, Lord, instead of me complaining and crying out, why? Why me? Why this? Why now? Instead of complaining, how about saying, what are you up to now, God? All right, I don't understand this, but I'm trusting that you're going to work this out for your glory and for my good. You see the difference in attitude? One is unbelief, and one is faith and trust. God wants us to honor Him. Hope honors God. Finally, God not only knows our thoughts and our hearts and His plans, He knows our obedience. Don't let this simple phrase slip by. It says in Exodus 14c, so the Israelites did this. They went ahead and they camped 
by the Red Sea in obedience. Even though they were going to be human decoys for Pharaoh to come on out towards them, they obeyed. And you know what? God knows our obedience. Jesus said three times, when you practice your righteousness, don't do it in front of people, but do it secretly. For your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. God sees your obedience, and He will reward your obedience. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, but those who believe in Him and seek Him are the ones who honor Him. Blessed are those who hear God's Word and obeys it. How can you apply this to your life? You can apply this in this simple way. Every time you have a tough situation, instead of looking for how God can comfort you, pray that God be glorified. Because God has a purpose in what you're going through. There's a design. With every dead end, God has a design to get you to a new destination. Do you hear that? With every dead end, God has a design to get you to a new destination. There's no miracle unless there's a mess that precedes it. And when you're in a mess, pray for a miracle and trust God to work it out to His glory and for your good. Whatever your situation is right now, you can apply this Hope in action by saying, Lord, I want you to be glorified. I want you to be magnified. I want people to see how great you are because they see how you bring me through what looked like impossible situations. Amen. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.